I'm Paul Rose. Some of you might know me as Mr. Biffo. I'm here once again on the Between You and Me podcast with my dear wife, Sanya. Hello, everybody. Some of you might be aware Fish has released his final solo album, which brings his music career, at least on record, to a close. He's still got a final tour or two to perform. But in terms of recorded output, that's it. Fish has been doing the rounds with interviews uh, over the last couple of weeks to talk about Welsh Mertz. And in one of them, there was a comment that rather jumped out at me. Now, I need to slightly contextualise this in the sense that I'm the father of someone with autism. I've got friends who are autistic. My eldest daughter works with severely autistic children but an interview with the scottish sun apologies if you're not a sun fan completely understand but fish fans will take it where we can get it fish says that he believes he is in his words definitely on the autistic spectrum he says with me it manifests itself all about the words when i have issues i write it down and turn them into lyrics being someone who's sort of quite aware of autism and how it manifests and the challenges that people with autism face. It left me reeling. I can't stop thinking about it. In a lot of ways, in much the way that my son, when he was diagnosed, he was 21, after we'd suspected for a while, but he got diagnosed and it, it we were able to sort of put his entire life into a sort of context and kind of go, well, now it makes sense. And I think in a way... It's thrown this podcast a bit of a curveball. I don't know. It, it, it's a delicate subject to discuss, mm. but perhaps because of my personal experience uh, surrounding autism, don't know. I, I'm I I guess I'm gonna find it hard, and did sort of find it hard in preparing for this episode to separate the fact that Fish is writing as whether he you know which he clearly didn't know at the time as someone who is on the autistic spectrum mm. um i i find it hard to separate that from the words themselves and the output in what way i don't know are you still are you say when you say that it, you're viewing his body of work differently are you still in the processing mode where you haven't you're just looking at it through a different lens and you haven't necessarily come to any conclusions or have you already started to pick up on certain things that you wouldn't have noticed before? Possibly. I don't know. It's all it's all retroactive really, isn't it? Yeah. It was like with, with my son, it was something with him that we wrote off when he was growing up as being quirky and a bit eccentric and then we were able to kind of go... Well, now we know why. It didn't change how much I loved him or anything like that. And similarly, I don't think with Fish, it won't change how much I loved and love his music and what he's done, more to the point, what he's given me over the course of my life. Without it being too extreme, you know, he he changed the course of my life. He was my hero when I was a teenager and it doesn't change him, you know, with someone with autism, that's just part of their personality. Everyone with autistic autism and everyone on that spectrum and, you know, spectrum is a 
slightly misleading word because it's not that implies something that's sort of linear and it's not yes yes and and um, actually that's um often a discussion within the community of people with autism um when when people mention things like high functioning low functioning it isn't accurate because because it's not linear you can be really really high functioning in something like verbal communication and yet really find things like um organizing paperwork extremely challenging so it's not even even like and i'm saying this in quotation marks um high and low functioning mm. isn't a linear thing no who i'd love to hear about this from is fish himself i would love to i would love to know how whether it has changed the way he looks at his songwriting process mm. and his creative process i did i did send fish an email last week saying could you spare five minutes for an interview for the podcast he was obviously very busy because his house is full of packaging boxes at the moment as we record this sort of sending out uh the album but kind of more even more now i would love to talk to him and kind of go can you elaborate on that you know yeah. your, your statement about thinking you're I quote definitely on the autistic spectrum yeah because I want I guess I just guess I just want to know how he now thinks that might have affected his life mm. it's none of our business no really. of course not and I don't you know but at the same time I don't want to sort of second guess because here's what's no. been going through my head you know yeah. I've kind of gone well he's had a lot of heartbreak he's had a lot of professional breakups he's had a lot of difficulty in his career how much of that as a result of the fact that he was struggling with something that he wasn't aware of yeah it, it sounds to me like you just want to understand him better yeah and his yeah. story it's none of my business, but I do because I suppose on some level I do care about fish. I wonder like how challenging it really has been for him over these years Yeah, to fit into an industry that is very much, I don't want to use the word social, but is very much people orientated. Well, fish is, and yeah, he described himself as a shy kid. And the reason he used to wear the makeup on stage was as a mask to hide behind. Mm. And to give him the courage to get up on stage. On top of that, he, he was admitted that he used to sort of do drugs, partly to give him that boost that he needed again to go out and perform. Mm, it's almost like putting on a mask or some sort of armour of protection. Yeah, yeah. An armour because you're in a foreign land almost. And where the fish calling himself something different was a was a, again part of that mask. It was a character. It allowed him to to be something that. That he that didn't come naturally, if that yeah. makes sense. Even though he seems so effortless when he's on stage, and he mm. is magnetic, and absolutely, in my opinion, you know, in his day, was one of the greatest rock front men ever. We need to hear it from him. <laughs> we do. He, uh, I'd love to hear. I mean, of course, we don't need to because it's up to him whether he wants to talk about it or not. But I would love to hear his take on it and and his version of. Of his experience. Yeah. Well, when the whole Welsh Schmertz thing dies down, I might send Maybe. him another email. Yeah. And I might tell him what it's going to be about. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Mm. Well, sorry, everyone, for that un <laughs> unscheduled introduction to Fugazi. But it's been on my mind. So, we've, uh, we've covered scripts, but there were a lot of changes in the wake of the script for Jester's Tour Tour. 
The title of the script, the famous VHS live performance, turned out to be the final performance with Mick Pointer on drums. Now, Mick, in interviews, seems to blame Fish for much of uh, what went down. Fish obviously blamed Mick Pointer's drumming. But the firing of Mick Pointer and what happened next with their search for a drummer directly fed into the Fugazi album and the opening track on it. But before we get to that, what happened was uh, Marillion then went off to America having recruited a guy called Andy Ward who was uh, had been a drummer with Camel, classic prog band from the 1970s. And you're looking at me blankly. No, I've heard of Camel. Oh. I think I've listened to... Uh, don't ask me for names of songs or anything, but yeah. Well, unfortunately, that all went completely sour because uh part way through the tour andy ward didn't cope and had to be let go and they had to cancel a whole bunch of shows then they went through two more drummers they had a guy called john martyr with whom they went into the studio to re-record market square heroes and three boats down from the candy to give it a more american sound those two tracks ended up on the b-side of the first single off of fugazi they were, there was talk, I think, of releasing I'm getting them. confused because we listened to them last week, so I thought they were B-sides for singles from Script for Jester's Tear. No, I'm they, so were, confused. they were single. Well, yeah, okay. Marcus Square Harris was Meridian's first single. Three Boats Down from the Candy was the B-side of that single. Yeah. Yeah, they re-recorded So what we listened to was the originals. last week was the originals, okay. Yes. That's what I wanted to know. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> all right. Uh, what happened was uh, they re-recorded it with John Martyr, I think, with a view to re-releasing or releasing Market Square Heroes as an American-only single, I guess, at the time. Wow. Have you heard yeah, yeah, the... Yeah. How, how is it different? It's a bit beefier, a little bit more modern-sounding, I suppose. Beefier? What do you mean by beefier? I don't know. Just a bit more modern. Hmm. A bit more modern. A bit more of a kick to it. Hmm. I'll play you them later. I didn't think they were worth talking about much Ooh, <laughs> this ouch. episode. Well, no, only because they're, you know, it's just talking about the same song, but sounding slightly different. Yeah, so it's not a noticeable <laughs> difference. No. Okay. So uh, John Martyr uh, lasted a while. Meridian went back to America with him and played some disastrous shows with Rush. Why disastrous? Because uh, they got booed every night. Apparently, no, apparently right before Meridian re- went on whoever was responsible for the, the pre-gig music uh, would play Genesis right before Marillion took to the stage. What? <laughs> Total oh, trolling. Oh, no, that's so mean. Yeah. And then out walks this guy with Peter Gabriel face paint on. Um, oh, no. Yeah. And in a foreign country as well. Mm. Oh, I feel bad for them. That must have been really horrible. Yeah. Well, they did. They were briefly for a while, believe it or not. They were a six-piece because they kept Andy Ward around to help out with some of the new tracks that they were writing when they played them live because mm. they actually toured or started touring the Fugazi tracks playing like Assassin, Incubus, Emerald Lies, Jigsaw live. And Andy Ward obviously had familiarity. So he came out and would help on percussion oh, okay. at points during the gig. So yeah, for a while, Marillion were a six-piece. So they, uh, they went back to America. They weren't happy with the drums uh, and then they hired a 19 year old American called Jonathan Mover who Fish hated oh no uh, 
<laughs> Fish <doesn't>... apparently <laughs> apparently gave um, the band an ultimatum when Jonathan Mover expressed that he didn't like the songs that they were writing. Wow. Um, and Fish gave the band an ultimatum. It's him or me. Uh, oh. Suffice to say, 19-year-old Jonathan Mover wasn't going to win that. <laughs> no. Yeah, he didn't stand, stand a chance. Uh, and then Ian Mosley came on the scene. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, once again, someone from Genesis Circles, because he had drummed in John, uh, Steve Hackett's band, Steve Hackett being Genesis's original guitarist. But Ian Mosley joined, got on with everyone, despite having, according to him, never heard any Marillion, but he'd used to tell people that he was a big fan when they'd ask him if he'd heard of them. Oh, really? <laughs> Brilliant. Well, because he said he was a, you know, he was a session drummer. He didn't want to, he didn't want to do himself out of any work. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I love him. <laughs> Worked for him. And Ian's been there ever since, of course. Yeah. Still in the band today. So at this point, Marillion, five piece, everyone but Fish is still in the band. Which is okay. pretty good going, isn't it? That's really, really good going. Bands. How many years is that now? Well, this was 84, so okay. 83, 84. That is very good going. Yeah, but what is that, 37 years? Yeah, about a band to keep most of its original members for that length of time. And for none of them to die. That's grim. Well, I mean, they they were all very young. Yeah. Although, I mean, in rock and roll, well. that, doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> that means nothing. Yeah. So, the Fugazi album. Uh, recorded at Manor Studios in Oxford with a guy called Nick Torber. It was, by all accounts, the most torturous recording process of the Fish era. And the band now struggled to look back on it with any degree of fondness. (laughs) Even though it apparently features Fish's favourite Marillion track of his, they struggled to separate the album from the absolutely horrific recording process that took too long. Um, Nick Torb apparently had some sort of breakdown in the middle and they had to bring in another producer. Tapes got wiped. Um, Oh, no. Yeah. It was like the 2020 of recording processes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, well, the title and what it means, which we'll get into when we come to the title track next week, it sums up 2020 pretty well, uh. <laughs> shall we say. It turned out to be, though, a success as an album. Punch and Judy preceded it as a single. Didn't do great. I think it got into the top, I don't know, top 40 somewhere, like number 35. But the album, again, testament to Marillion going out there and treading the boards as much as they possibly could, got to number five. Got top ten. What? That's top fantastic. Five. Yeah, what a step up. Top five. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Oh, well done them. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you, lads. <laughs> Good work. Well, well done. Really did well there. <laughs> now, this album, the first track on it, we've discussed what happened when Ian Grucock lent me his copy yes. of Real to Real, which also opens with the first track of Fugazi, mm-hmm. which has a sort of Islamic Middle Eastern opening section, mm-hmm. which Fish was inspired and suggested it um, after being lent some albums by Peter Hamill from Van de Graaff Generator. Ah. Sasanya. Yes. Let's talk about Assassin. Assassin. With tongues forged from eloquence. Indeed. Well, I have to say, I love the beginning bit. 
I love it now. The bit that, that caused you to cut up a tape, your friend's tape. I fixed it with coffee um, decks. I, <laughs> I absolutely love that beginning bit. And overall, I do love the song. I think it's such a great, catchy song. And I was very grateful to it uh, when I listened to it last week that it took He Knows You Know out of my head because I'd had that stuck in my head for literally a week. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, I mean, when I say these songs are earworms, I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, love the sound of it. It's very upbeat, rocky, enjoyable. Do I know what it's about? No. I'm going to have a guess. Have a guess. Okay, so I'll have a guess and I'm fully expecting to be wrong. So I'm going to take the line, I'm the assassin. And I've got a, I've got a question afterwards. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm the assassin with Tongue Forge from Eloquence. Is this a song about journalists or the media or something commentating? And and now I'm guessing because of the cover, I think there was a soldier on the cover. Is it about them commentating on wars or on, I don't know, something like that, on the military or, or something? Pretending to care and be honest, maybe being scathing with their words, but they don't really care. They just want... They just want career success, which I'm guessing that bit because of the line on the sacrificial altar to success, my friend. Um, So, yeah, that's my guess what it's about. But apart from that, I really have no idea. The other possibility is that he's talking about just how words can be used as weapons and the power of words. You were doing so badly and then you were spot on at the end. Oh, (laughs) which was my first, that was my first guess. And then I was like, no, this is fish. It's got to have some sort of social commentary about the the military or or wars or whatever. There's a lot of military imagery in there. Yeah. Thousand yard stare, camouflage, mercenary, free fire zone, objector, uniform fetish, all of that. Yeah. There's a lot of that in there, but it's not about war. It's not about journalists. I mean, Fisher started reading about the Vietnam War a lot. There are several references to Vietnam in this album, as well as the title itself. But it's about sacking band members. Oh, what? That's what I mean. It was directly inspired by getting rid of Mick Pointer, getting rid of the next one, getting rid of the next one, getting rid of the next one, and then finally Ian Mosley. I never would have guessed that. (laughs) Yeah. See, because I was coming off the back of Forgotten Sons, I'm like, oh, it's got to be about some something in the news, like world events and him not trusting journalists. No, nothing to do with journalists. It is literally about wow. being, being the bad guy and killing someone with words. Ah, so, so the sacrificial altar... To success. To success is, is sacrificing him, other members of the band. So that he can have, well, they can have, be yeah. successful. So when he sings, I am the assassin. Yes. He's literally he's, talking about oh himself. Okay. Because okay, it so, was normally put down, given to Fish as the job to do. Oh. Well, I mean, I did wonder in here as well. Um, there's there's uh, the non-com observer, people standing by. Mm. while someone else fights your wars. I did wonder whether that was sort of veiled at the other members of the band for not getting involved in the whole oh, thing. Non-combative observer. Yeah. Can I just ask one thing? Yeah. What is the difference? Like, why is the title of the song Assassin, <laughs> but then he says, I am the assassin? Well, Fish by all accounts regrets adding the G and sort of doesn't seem to know why he did it. Oh. 
I think there are a few theories that have been sort of floated over the years, which it's a song, a sassing, singing. Oh, okay. That's one. Another is that the that he wanted it to sound like the word sassing. Oh, I'm sassing you. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not that's sure. Like it. I had another theory. Yeah. Uh, assessing as in assessing. As well, in yeah, which is what my autocorrect kept changing it to. Yeah, that only dawned on me this morning that it sounds a bit like assessing. So you're assessing the other person. I don't know, but I'm throwing it out know. there as a possible. Uh, Fraser my... Marshall of Marillion Explorations of Song Elements. You might want to add that one. <laughs> <laughs> There's one for you. I actually have to thank Fraser Marshall because I the, I try not to look up too much out of the lyrics, but I did have to Google the Fuji knot or Fuji knot. Yeah, the only the only reference to Fuji knot that you're ever going to find anywhere is in the is in the song. Yeah, I googled it, and all of the Google <laughs> results were lyrics to Assassin. I don't, like, don't know what it is. What? I've no idea oh, what it is. Apparently, what it, means by it, it is. Um, well, I I know I read Fraser's yeah. take on it that it it's a. A distortion of the word thuggy. Thuggy, who are worshippers of the Hindu goddess Kali, who's the goddess of death. Mm. And so the knot was they tie a a rupee into a a scarf and strangle people with it. Why didn't he just say a thuggy or Kali knot? Why did he change it to Fugi? Because it sounds a bit like Fugazi? I don't know. Still doesn't make sense. Oh, Fugi Fugazi. I did wonder if it was that. Oh my goodness. What? Mind blown. Ah. Oh, interesting. So it's Fugi Knot. I was saying Fuji Knot. Fuji Knot. I don't know how he, but whatever. Oh, I always say Fugi because okay. of Fugazi, the hard G. Yeah. Oh, very good. Very good. Mind blown. Mm, very good. And moving aside from the lyrics for a second, I just wanted to say musically this rocks doesn't it do you know the secret of it it's the same thing that the pink floyd did with another brick in the wall it's got a disco beat listen to it does it it's got a dance beat really yeah the bass and the drums the rhythm session it's disco and that is why it works so well Live, especially. Live, this is a song to sing live and to see live. It, and for me, it is very different to anything on script. As a way to kick Completely. off, kick off the album as a statement of intent. Yeah, it's so tight, and part of that is down to Ian's drumming. I think bringing in, you know, the new drummer does. For me, it does lift lift it. You know, no offense to Mick Pointer, but you can see the, the his impact and his you know all over this album. There are points where the drumming is you know it 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 doesn't get in the way again, but it is certainly adds to the atmosphere and the the drive of these songs. It's a lot harder edged as an album as a whole. Mm. It, it's a lot got a lot more sort of attack. Yeah. To it. Yeah, definitely. Which will come on to towards the end because I, I, I do want to talk about is just the overall feel of this album which it feels to me very different to script it does that extends to the lyrics that extends to the cover the production just all of it the songwriting it's got a really different atmosphere but anyway mm. so assassin it's a again a Marillion classic to this day one of their best and hardest rock songs I think the lyrics they're wordy but they work. They just kind of roll with the music. Mm, they fit. 
uh, and it's a great vocal performance. Yeah, for that, sure. That, that is dripping with venom. Why is that funny? <laughs> no, it's true. It is. <laughs> well, well, venomous, dripping with venomous, venomous work. Oh, God. <laughs> venomous well, verbs. You wouldn't make a very good assassin. <laughs> I'd make a terrible, <laughs> make a terrible assassin. <laughs> oh, I'm so. still my mind's still blown at what the song's about. Really? There, are, there. I was trying to because he puts read in all the, into puts it, puts in all the war and army references in there. Yeah, but then it's you know parading a it. Hollywood conscience. It's like, oh, it's got to be about journalists. Venomous verbs of ruthless candor, plagiarize assassins fervor. Apocalyptic alphabet, casting spell, the creed of tempered diction. Sorry, can I just say, I love the words apocalyptic alphabet. (laughs) It's just like those two words next to each other are just uh, amazing. Also, I'm going to put this out there and I'm going to say this is contender for one of the best endings to a Marillion song of all time. And what do you call assassins accuse assassins anyway? My friend. The drums there. Ah, it's another sing-along favourite. Yeah. So, there we go. That was the second single, which is stupid. They should have released that as the first single. Because it got higher yeah, than Punch for and sure. Judy. But the, the album was out by then. And it had a video, which isn't very good. But we'll do a separate... <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a separate episode on the video. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. They weren't They weren't made for MTV, Marillion, bless them. Oh. Well, they weren't. They didn't do very good videos. That's not their fault. Yeah. They're not the video creators. Anyway, that's for another Okay, episode. yes, that's completely off so, topic. from assassin which we seem to love we do unanimously yep punch punch and judy punch and judy 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 <laughs> doesn't say judy 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 <laughs> it's judy 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 <laughs> right yes where'd you, where'd you stand on this okay so actually i haven't i have not written very much about punch and judy first of all i have to say i thought I didn't really like this song and I wasn't really looking forward to listening to it. But then when I listened to it, I was like, oh, it's actually okay. And I've been thinking about our friend Mark Paling while listening to it because he's often said that it takes him a few listens to a song or or an album to start liking it. Every Marillion album for me, I've never liked it on the first listen. I've had that experience with Punch and Judy. Because I was like, yeah, you know, I definitely don't like it. And then I listened to it and I was like, actually, it's all right. It's quite catchy. I don't know what it's about. Like, I'm guessing. Okay, here we go. Here's my guess. It's about uh, a couple in a relationship that's going stale with time until they get to the point of wanting each other dead. Which I guess from just slip her these pills and I'll be free. Yeah, pretty much. right? It's more fishes fear of settling down it's it's what it's about because he wasn't in a you know he was 
in multiple oh, unstable okay. relationships. Yes, that makes so much more sense. So this song he, is him, him describing his fears of what would happen if he settles down. Yeah. Losing the war in the wasteland spread. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag relatable. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Thanks, we're, COVID. Uh, we're, we're talking to Marillion fans here. <laughs> None of us are young anymore. <laughs> Now I get it. That's really clever. For me. Okay, see, now I have a greater appreciation for the song. I think that. this is, to, up to this point, Fish's most straightforward lyric. Mm. I think it it's not hidden behind metaphor. He mm. doesn't employ the sort of flowery literary language that he once did. Mm. I think this is... You can read this and kind of go, oh, yeah, washing machine, pinstripe dreams, stripped the gloss from a beauty queen, found our nest in the Daily Express, met the vicar in the Holy Rest, got married, brought up the children, Church of E, O for D-I-V-O-R-C-E-O, Judy. It, it's Yeah, it, but what I appreciate so much more about it now is I thought he was just telling the story of a different, uh, like a couple that he knew or of a made-up yeah. couple or something and seeing it through the lens of his fears. Yeah. Oh, it just gives it so much more, so many more, so many more layers. Yeah, I mean, I think as well he. Uh, yeah, we'll it just to, makes it more layered. We'll get Sorry. to this with the next two tracks, in fact. But Fish was had a sort of long term on on again off again relationship going on, so I think it's inevitable that he was kind of going well if we did get married you know i get trapped in that he was projecting <laughs> yeah he was he was seeing his possible future with this person so the, i mean this okay. this is an out uh, a track that isn't one that i would have ever said is one of my favorite marillion songs however and that, you know it's not one that i listen to often however listen to it again here and particularly in the context of the album where it's assassin, Punch and Judy, it's like a real one-two punch of mm -hmm. like hard, yep. up-tempo songs. Well, this is like which... the, the first thing I wrote was li I listened to Assassin, then listened to Punch and Judy, and it was like, whoa, off the back of script. It's exactly. like this album is so much rockier. Y you know, when you think how, how Script for Jester's Tears started, you know, with that yes. slow losing on the swings, losing on the roundabout, all that and the, the quiet opening to that album. And then you go from that to this. It's like, geez, yeah. it's a real slap in the face. Yeah. But it's short. It's it's is it their shortest song today? I don't know. Or today, but at least up to this point, it's pretty pretty short. Those two tracks opening the album a real statement of intent. They're they're a strong start, aren't they? Not a track that I would have ever said is a Meridian favourite of mine. Listen to it a lot as a kid, of course. Know every word, of course. And yet I went back to it here in the context of the album. Went, yeah, wow. Actually, that does that does hit you in the face, mm. ironically, given what it's about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we saw Punch, Punch and, Judy. and Judy hits you in the face, you, ladies and well, gentlemen. We, we saw Punch and Judy show a couple of years ago. It's your first time you'd ever seen one. Oh wasn't yeah, it? you were so excited. I hadn't seen one in years. Anyone who's listened to this who doesn't actually know what a Punch and Judy show is, so I, I probably should explain a bit because I know we have quite a lot of international listeners. Hello to all of you. Hello. Uh, it's it's something you'd often see at the seaside where. A guy would set up a little tent, like a little theatre, one-man theatre, and do a puppet show about a puppet called Punch, who was basically a wife-beater, and his wife Judy, who would ask him to look after the baby, and then Punch would not look after the baby. He would, like, attack the baby, and the baby would be naughty, and the baby would get eaten by a crocodile, and a policeman would come along, and there were some sausages involved, and sometimes the devil. 
<laughs> Sometimes a skeleton as well. So moving on from the two singles, there were only two singles from this album, as with, were there only two singles on Screw? Yeah, of course there were. Of course we had Market Square Heroes first. Anyway, Jigsaw. Mm. Jigsaw. Okay, so first of all, after the first two really punchy, rocky songs, I loved the slower pace of Jigsaw. Um, it comes at the right time, doesn't it? Yeah. Because those two tracks are really, really sort of upbeat and in your face. Yeah. It's just... It was artfully placed. It, it it kind of, it was just what you needed at that moment. Yeah. I I really love the sound of this song. I think it's it's gorgeous to listen to. Although lyrically, I mean, the lyrics, they didn't affect me emotionally, but it didn't, it didn't cloud my enjoyment of the song. I have to also mention there's a guitar solo in it. I'm not sure. I think it's around four minutes, but don't quote me. That is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, So I'm going to guess about the meaning. I'm going to guess that it's a song about breakups again. You've got a 50-50 chance. That is good. (laughs) Yeah, let's face it. It's about breakups either uh, uh, with uh, drummers and band members or with girlfriends or about his fears of future relationships. For me, though, this is just like looking at the lyrics and this is only my personal opinion. I did feel that there were too many words. Well, that's interesting because I read an interview with Fish where he described... No, it wasn't an interview. It was his sleeve notes where he describes it as his wordiest lyric and a pain oh, in the really? ass to sing. Okay. Oh, good. I feel better then. Yeah, I, um, I wrote here, looking at the lyrics leaves me feeling mentally full and overwhelmed. And the experience is almost like when somebody tells you their dream in excruciating detail and you're doing all you can to pay attention and to stay present out of respect but it's all just getting a bit too much for you. So throughout the song, you're sort of going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know what he's talking about. But don't but, you um, think... But aside from that, that's just the lyrics. Aside from that, I love the sound of the song. Don't you and think, especially though, the chorus. Don't you think, though, that the, the chorus, talking of... Yeah, stand straight. That's really yeah. straightforward. I think yeah, lyrically, that, yes, look that me in is. the eye and say goodbye. That Perfect, Chris, and then clear, in, and then in concise. The, the verses... We are jigsaw pieces aligned on the perimeter edge, interlocked through a missing piece. We are Renaissance children becalmed beneath the bridge of size. I do yeah. I do quite love those two lines. I like though. I actually really like the lyrics. Yeah, we are Siamese children related by the heart, bleeding from the surgery of initial confrontation. So <laughs> I do, I love this. This is one of my favourite fish era songs. For me, it's the first time Meridian are really reaching towards doing a ballad that they kind of get to on the next album with Lavender. It feels like it's a it's a sort of first step on that journey towards them becoming much more rounded as a mm. as a musical uh proposition. You know, they're they're not just about the the anger and the rage. Here it 
it, it's mu- and I'm talking musically here, not necessarily the lyrics. I think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous song of theirs. Yeah. I was very disappointed when they played it at their Marillion Weekend A to Z night. Why? Why? You were disappointed when they played it. H didn't sing it and they were relying on the audience to sing it. Um, oh, I see. And, you know, when they got, because it was the A to Z night, when we got, they got to J, we were all like, ah, oh, what are they going to do? Just for the record, another Fish Era song or Jigsaw. What's it going to be? But you can see and now why he might have chosen not to sing it because it's so wordy. There's no, yeah, again, this is the album that, that H has never sung anything from apart from one track, which is a B-side that we'll get to next week. But what really disappointed me is that so many people in the audience didn't either seem to know the lyrics or know the song or were just not confident enough wrapping their tongue around drowning tequila sunset starways on midnight ships. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, but as a song, I love it. Yeah, I have to say, sorry. It's one of those brilliant fish lyrics that when it gets to that chorus, you just sing along. Yeah. It's like kind of eyes closed kind of. So what it's about, I've read... Fish's explanation of what it's about. And I can't say I'm entirely clear on it, but I'll do my best to explain it to you. Okay. Yes, please. (laughs) I'll try and simplify what I think his explanation means. In a relationship, we all have various pieces of a jigsaw that if we offered them to the other people, it would complete the jigsaw, but we don't. We keep them hidden. Ooh. But we have the power to give that to them and complete the jigsaw and complete the relationship, but we don't. We hold stuff back. Ah, interesting. It's clever as a kind of metaphor. I may be completely wrong. Bear in mind, though, that I am paraphrasing from Fish's own explanation there. Mm. That's great thinking, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, That I like that. I like that. What I'm finding interesting, and I've just noticed another... Another line when you said about bleeding from the surgery of initial confrontation, holding the word scalpels on trembling lips. This is like the (laughs) second time on the album that he's used sharp objects in relation to words. Interesting, isn't it? assassin. He obviously knows the power of his words. Yeah. Certainly at this point he's... It's something that's that's on his mind at that time, it seems. There's something quite, yeah self-analytical here which is interesting given what we were talking about at the mm. start of the podcast mm. he is he seems to be looking at the his own, the consequences of his own actions and his own words yeah in regards to relationships so first we saw it with the relationship of a band member and now it's in a love relationship so jigsaw i think it's great yeah it's my second favorite song of the album yeah, so so far... Favourite was Assassin. So far, Fugazi's doing pretty well. So far, it's doing wonderfully. Wow. I just want to say... only the album... I just want to say like... before it all comes crashing down <laughs> and you review the next track with a... <laughs> into the microphone. <laughs> I just want to say, again, about the sound of this, the particularly the keyboards on this album, they're... I'm trying not to preempt well, I wanted to talk about this next week, but but looks like I am. It, it It's a lot chillier. The sounds aren't as warm and organic as they were on script. And the, the keyboards here are a lot more sort of, I was going to say to the fore, but the, the sounds that Mark Kelly is using here, they they seem much more sort of electronic 
yeah, just not as warm and organic. And so it gives the album overall a, a chillier feel, I think. Hmm. Chillier emotionally? Has that affected well, how you I, feel I, about the album? No, no. Well, yes, it has. Well, no, he says, and then goes, yes, it has. This album, lyrically, fishes a lot more. And, and this comes into form to the fore more on side two, I think, but certainly Jigsaw, which is interesting, Jigsaw and Assassin, you weren't sure what they were about. Mm. So here, I think Fish's lyrics are that much more obtuse. Yes. Oh, yes. And definitely. The music, and so that's harder to grasp. And the music or the production, I don't know what's caused it, but it's, I think it's a harder album to love straight away. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. because it isn't as warm and it isn't as easy to, to reach and understand. I found it hard. I mean, I didn't connect with it emotionally at all, mm. with the lyrics Whereas at least. you did on some of script. I did on some of script. And at the moment, the first three songs, what's carried them through for me is I've just loved the sound. Yeah. I've loved the experience, the sensory experience of the song. It feels more remote. That's the word I was reaching for remote in what way like for me it feels remote emotionally if um, emotionally it feels because the sounds are sort of seem almost more machine like i guess almost more electronic even though it's not an electronic album by any means but because of the way it's been produced and and coupled to that fish's lyrics being that much harder to sort of grasp upon first reading Mm. It seems less like there's a sort of human hand involved. So they seem more remote as people, yeah. which is interesting because that was reflected with what was going on you know, behind the scenes. They were becoming bigger. You know, they were playing bigger venues more frequently. You know, they were two in America. All right, it didn't go great. They were starting to to build upon the success that they first tasted with script. So... The album cover, which we'll get to, sort of reflects the next stage in that Jester's journey. It's the the, the cliché sort of rock star ideal of the trashed hotel room. There are a lot of kind of drugs flying around. You look at when Fish, in interviews around this time, is discussing the, where the inspiration for the lyrics come from. A lot of those lyrics, it was, I was coming down from an acid trip. I was, you know, you know, off my face. So in a way, he was kind of disconnected from his real self. Yeah, the real, ironically. Yeah. Yeah, so that... Yeah, because I'm actually, sorry, just thinking about it, it wasn't just emotionally I didn't connect with it. It was even mentally because the lyrics are so indirect. It's not like you get them straight away. Yeah. So they weren't connecting mentally. They weren't connecting emotionally. Really, it's the music that, and Fisher's performance in in singing it. Mm. Really, it's that that carried those but again, first for me, three songs through I think for the, me. The music, the lyrics, and the, and Fisher's vocals on here. He's experimenting a bit with a bit less of the the high pitch stuff. There's yeah. still some of it, but he's starting to bring his his pitch down a little. All of it again works together but it all also all goes towards that feel of remoteness if i remember even the 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 inside of the gatefold sleeve it had kind of you know uh sort of computerized font on the 
the song titles or whatever, you know, kind of. So it all fell. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so it was even mirrored in the font. And I don't know whether they were doing it consciously. Certainly, if you listen to Marillion, they, they talk about this album as a pain in the arse. And so I don't know if all of it was deliberate or whether it just happened by accident. And But, but what is really interesting as we're talking about this is realising where they go next on their next album or where Fish goes next on their next album. And I'm starting to realise doing this in a chronological order that it really tells a story. Mm. And it really is a three-act structure. So... Shall we do it? Shall we talk about Emerald Lies? Oh, yes, Your let's. favourite Marillion song it ever. It is. I absolutely love this song. It's my favourite song on the album. I just can't wait to listen to it again. It's strange, because I seem to remember earlier, you said to me that you were listening to it and it actually made you feel nauseous. <laughs> yes, well, I wanted to see, could you sense my Emerald Lies in the <laughs> oh. sentence? Or maybe not Emerald, but just uh, yeah. just plain lies in, in black and white. Burple lies. <laughs> Burple? It's the colour of sick. Oh, I feel bad, but it wasn't, that was just like, it was a physical reaction. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to anyone. Yeah, misplaced reaction. Um, I'm sorry to anyone who loves this song. I'm sorry to anyone um, for whom this is their favourite song. I just, I couldn't. And I've realised, so before sitting down to listen to the album, I had been kind of putting it off a bit and I had this, almost subconscious idea that I didn't really, I wasn't going to enjoy the album. And then when I started listening to it, it was like, oh, actually, you know, the first three songs, they're great. You know, I love them. And then we came to Emerald Lies and I realized that this is the reason I was dreading listening to the album. Wow. Yeah. You must have heard it then. Yeah, well, I mean, you've had it on in the car. Emerald Lies, really? Well, well, no, the album. Oh, We've had okay. Figazi on and... It came on, so I don't know, for some reason, I had in my head that I wasn't going to enjoy the entire album. Let me see, what have I written? Okay, so, <laughs> how, how, oh God, how I got through this song in the end <laughs> was by imagining I was sitting in a theatre watching a show, <laughs> because I found <laughs> Because I was finding it impossible to enjoy musically. Um, and the opening music reminded me of like the background music of an 80s TV show, like, like MacGyver. So <laughs> MacGyver the musical. That's, MacGyver that's the how musical. you got to it this like, song. You know, um, the beginning bit. Actually, I don't know if it's the beginning bit. There's a bit that it it really sounds like it, it should be the background to MacGyver trying to save his life with a pen and a rubber band or something. Well, I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to say one thing. That's yeah. not what the song's about. No, I, I realise <laughs> that. It's not about MacGyver <laughs> saving people with a pen. <laughs> I realise that. Um, yeah, I was just talking musically. I found it very, very challenging to listen to. Um, and then when the singing started, I liked it even less. Wow. Yeah. Um, I've got written here. I've, this is what I've got written in my notes. This song is the reason I was dreading listening to this album. It's a cacophony, a mess of sounds thrown together. You know how I said that I loved 
what I loved about Garden Party was how it allowed each member of the band to shine. Um, I had the exact opposite reaction or the exact opposite thoughts listening to Emerald Lies. It just felt like it was the equivalent of each of the band members all talking on top of each other. And then you can't really appreciate what any of them are saying. It was just, yeah, too much. Now, when it comes to what the song is about, I'm guessing it's about jealousy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And that's all I've got to say about that. Apart from like, sorry, when he said, when he wrote, as you accumulate flirtations with with the calculated calmness of the whore... I just wanted to say, ouch, fish, that's a bit mean. Like, you're not going to get your girlfriend on side talking to her like that. Yeah, there's a... That lyric always sat a bit uncomfortably it's with like, me. It's really harsh. You wouldn't really want to put that in a song? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what it's about. It, it's about... I mean, he's never directly said it's his jealousy, but it is. It's just jealousy. I think it is his jealousy in relationship. Right. And oh, him, my gosh. him not trusting his girlfriend. Yeah. I, I think it is directly about him because he because there's so much sort of reflection in his words about his own actions and this album as we're learning is very much about words yes it is yeah is i wonder if uh, he's at least this first gonna line. call up the lyrics so oh yeah well lies words yeah there you go again emerald green jealousy <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm really sorry. I feel so bad that... Do you just hate this song because it mentions Harlequins and you don't like... Well, it, it didn't You don't help. like Jesters. It, it didn't help it, did it? No, I think actually in this case, it's it's more about the sound. Right. Like I love the sound of the first three songs and this song was just such a mishmash of sounds. I couldn't appreciate the individual instruments. And then on top of it, I didn't like the singing. Sorry, Fish. I'm well, really sorry. There's, I would have said all of this, right? I was all ready to agree with you. Mm-hmm. I've always thought, why the hell is that song on that album? Mm-hmm. You know, just they could have cut it and it would have been a nice six track album. If they cut this, I probably would have loved this album yeah, way more. I, I've always thought it didn't sit because for all the reasons you've just said. Mm-hmm. Now, go Okay, back here to we it, go. I didn't hate it. I was really surprised. I, I, I've i always put Emerald Lies as one of my bottom three Marillion songs ever. See, it's that 20, <laughs> 20 listens threshold that once you've listened but, but to I've it listened enough to times, loads. you start to like it. Over the years, I've listened to this a lot. There's loads of lyrical imagery in this that I, I really love. The 40-watt sun on a courtroom drama and the coffee stains gather to, uh, till the pale kimono set the wedding rings dancing on the cold linoleum. I've always loved that as uh, lyrically... I find it quite an uncomfortable song lyrically to listen to for some of the reasons you say, but mm-hmm. there's the the whole plundering your diaries or still your thoughts in a sense, ravaging your letters, unearth your plots. If this is fish talking about himself, I find it a bit, ooh, it's a bit, okay, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, don't you? It feels like, I don't know. I, you know, going forward, Steve Hogarth, He's very, you know, as his fish, but, you know, there have been times where Steve Hogarth has laid his soul bare in lyrics and I've kind of thought, wow, you're really putting that out there. Mm. But this is an occasion when Fish is doing that where I just thought, yeah, you might not want to. 
Yeah. 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 Like, nah. Don't put that on to an album. <laughs> Least of all, go and sing it in front of loads of people. However, again... It might not be about him. Yeah, it might be about... a. a, a Maybe it was about his girlfriend towards or, him. Or some other anonymous Harlequin. <laughs> Yeah, so I didn't hate it. I was wow. really surprised, given this is the I, song. I hope one day I get to that point. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It was always like... I'm not, not even joking about... Um, I was listening to it and felt the back of my throat go. Oh, my God. I felt That's, queasy. Wow. What's you, that about? You found uh, the musical... Well, almost the brown note. Yeah, but the, the opposite the, end. The purple note. The purple note. That was it. That Maybe was they it. should have called the song "Purple Note." They should have. Purple haze. <laughs> Although I want to say one thing good about it, I do like the lines um, "looking looking in shades of green through shades of blue." I thought that was a nice line. That always bothered me because I didn't I've know what one... the sh- I didn't know what the shades of blue were. I thought it was his eyes. Oh, uh, maybe has he got blue eyes? Well, I'm, I was hoping he did because that's how I'd interpreted that line. Okay. Well, blue could be depression. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Looking in shades of green through shades of blue. Yeah. Mm. Mm, twist. Yeah, but it, it it's a lot of different pieces, some mm. of which I really like. I wow. like the ending. Uh, does it hold together? Not entirely. Is it ever going to be one of my favorite Meridian songs? No, but I was surprised that I didn't have the same gut reaction that you did and that I've had in the past, that I still have the songs such as, from the H era, Most Toys. (laughs) (laughs) This was on Most Toys level for me, which is the Nadir for those who aren't listening. (laughs) Um, The Nadir. That is, it's probably the Nadir of Meridian's musical output. Sorry to everyone in the band. Do you think, uh, do you H, think there is nothing redeeming about the song most toys. Do, and for me, Emerald lies was there on that level. Do you think most toys is anyone's favorite song? Well, if they are, they've got issues. Do you think Emerald lies is anyone's favorite song? Well, I've got a feeling, although I wasn't trying to, because all our Marillion buddies, our, our little gang, we call ourselves the damaged. We're having a bit of a discussion off the back of, last week's episode uh, and they were discussing I think Fugazi and I was trying not to pay too much attention because I didn't want it to colour my mm. impressions of, of the album what we were going to talk about yes I think I saw someone say in there one of our mates said they like Emerald Lies I would love to know I would love to know what they love about it Mm. Well, I'll save yeah. that for a discussion with them. If any and of perhaps you, when they come on this podcast, they if think any of you love share it, it why us. not send us uh, a tweet at Biampod? Give or, us your reasons for loving Emerald Lies. Or you can find us on Facebook at Biampod. Um, and yeah, tell us if you love Emerald Lies and why. Uh, and why Sanya's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> This is always going to be, this podcast is always going to be subjective. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't, um, I don't for one minute think that I'm speaking the great truth or anything like that. It's just opinions and opinions that are very likely to change. And as I've said many a time, one of the great things about Marillion is I could do 10 compilations for people and each one would sound different and each one would have something for everyone. 
on it because they've put out so much stuff over the years and it's so varied and diverse that um, we're not all going to love the same stuff when it comes to Marillion, uh, as is the case with the Fugazi album. Correct. So I think that brings us to the end of side one, don't you? Yep, that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be looking at side two, which includes She Comedian, Incubus and Fugazi, at least two of which are staples of the Marillion live canon over the years. Not in the age era, obviously. He doesn't sing any of those songs. But in the Fish era, um, two live greats. Which two, Senya? Mm, that is the <laughs> That's question. Right, she Chameleon. <laughs> That's one you can punch the air to, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, please subscribe if you haven't already. Go check us out on Twitter. Go check us out on Facebook. Go and tell people about us because that's how podcasts grow, apparently. I've read that. Um, And yeah, stay safe. <laughs>